Hey, listener, this is Josh Elledge, CEO of UpMyInfluence.com. We are actively seeking guests for our daily commercial-free entrepreneurial inspiration podcast. If you know someone who is doing six to eight figures in business, send them our way. Just go to UpMyInfluence.com slash guest. Let's get on with the show. With us right now, Alex and Layla Hermosi. Hi, guys. Welcome to the show. Thank you for Thanks having for having us on, Josh. So I'd introduce you as the founder and CEO of X, but the simple fact is you've worked with a lot of companies. You grow them very, very rapidly, help them um, increase their revenue, and then you exit, right? Yep. Three yeah, five. yeah. Exit or or hold. Yeah, sure, sure. So um, g- give me a, I'll, I'll let you explain exactly what you do and how you do it. I'll, I'll, yeah. I'll hop on the front side. So and if you think about how we have done this, uh, we kind of think about front of house and back of house. And so the, there's the acquisition side and then the infrastructure side. So um, just breaking down the growth of the business, you know, we look at it with simple framework. So it's like we either have to get more customers or make them worth more. And so we, you know, just from the breaking down the getting more customers part, we're like, all right, well, there's six channels we can look at. We're either going to get it through paid media, earned media, owned media, mm. uh, referrals, affiliate partners, um, or uh, outbound methodologies. And so we look at the, the the one channel that they're currently using, see if it's underutilized, see if we can scale that up, and then look at if there's a low-hanging fruit to immediately start a second channel um, or a third channel, right? Uh, right just on the front end. On the back end, we'll look at, again, different ways that we can increase LTV. So we'll look at pricing. We'll look at reducing costs. Uh, we'll look at increasing purchase frequency. Uh, we'll look at increasing upsells, cross-sells, and downsells uh, so that we can squeeze more out of the pipeline. And so with the increased LTV that we'll look at, and specifically, we like to look at it as lifetime gross profit rather yeah. than value since we think it's poorly defined. Because uh, mm-hmm. at the end of the day, like if I'm selling something for 10 bucks and it cost me nine, I didn't right. make a dollar. <laughs> right? But I think a lot of times there's a misnomer um, in spaces when they're talking about that kind of stuff. And so we, we define everything as lifetime gross profit. And so once we boost the, uh, the back end, then a lot of times we can reopen up, um, more channels on the front end that otherwise wouldn't be accessible to us because, um, the LTV to CAC ratio was, was too, uh, unfavorable. And so that's really what we, we, we strive for is a really, really favorable LTV to CAC ratio. And for anyone who's, you know, starting out, it's just, uh, lifetime value to cost of acquisition. So, for us, one of our big special sauces, I think we were talking about beforehand, um, is a process that we call client finest acquisition, which is essentially uh, balancing the first 30 days of uh, net free cash flow we can generate from a customer and making sure that it co- that we generate at least two times the cost of acquisition and cost of fulfillment for a single customer within the first 30 days. And by doing that, we're able to eliminate the need for outside capital to have viral growth. And so it eliminates our just need for money in general. And so it puts all of the strain on the growth of the business uh, towards building infrastructure and operations. And so that's kind of what I do in my side of the house uh, to get things moving. And then Layla steps in uh, behind me. And so we tend to have this back and forth cadence that works with the companies that we scaled on our own, that we own, the four that I mentioned earlier. Um, Sorry, we talked before the podcast, so I'll Mm -hmm. run it later. But, you know, we've had uh, our companies and then the companies that we, um, you know, that we own percentages of and whatnot. And so then Layla comes in. Great. Yeah. On the backside, it's really just looking at how you can build a a scalable infrastructure that's flexible. Um, Nowadays, a lot of it is remote or a combination of in-person and remote. And so it's how do you do that while you're growing so rapidly without wasting a ton of cash? 
And so that's that's really the deal because I think a lot of people know how to scale really quickly with excess cash flow and when it's not their money and they have a lot coming in um, or they know how to uh, not spend any money and then they're constrained by that and they lose their reputation and such. And so it's being able to figure out those metrics that you have to follow on the inside um, and having those SOPs and those scalable infrastructures for each department so that it can match what's happening on the front end. And so that's really how we work in tangent. Yeah, right. So in terms of like what what you see and, and you know, maybe you've kind of looked at, um, you know, what's working today, you know, let's say it's an agency or it's a consultancy or, you know, B2B, maybe a SaaS software or something like that. And I understand these are all different case studies here. Um, but are, have you seen any themes or have you seen any, you know, repeatable any repeatable activity that is just really effective for customer client acquisition today? There's tons of stuff. <laughs> yeah. All right. Give me so, your top three then. Where so should we spend, be spending our resources and time and resources? So, I mean, I think, I think that it depends on the entrepreneur, right? And the, uh, the ticket size, the amount of trust that's required. Uh, you know, if we're selling you know, supplements B2C, you could have straight to a phone call, you could shoot, you could outbound phone call and sell, you know, $200,000 packages of supplements. If that's what you were doing, you know, very high volume, uh, you know, high velocity B2C sales. On the flip side, if you're selling enterprise software, which is, you know, one of our companies, um, that's usually going to be a multi-step process with video education and things like that. You need multiple stakeholders within the company, you know, and you're looking at, you know, $100,000, $200,000 deal size. This is different. And so, I think what what's actually required to build a good acquisition system is a really good understanding of the avatar and the needs that they have in their buying process, and then kind of reverse engineering it from there. You know, if I'm if I'm selling supplements B 2 C, I probably wouldn't use an outbound method unless I was trying to build an MLM. Yeah, right, right. right. That yeah. probably wouldn't be my that wouldn't be my core acquisition strategy. That being said, I might go to you know somebody who has audiences, and I might find small businesses that have a decent amount of people, and then that might be an outbound strategy I would use. But I would have some leverage on it because then you know the 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 numbers that I would get per business would be worth more, and then it would make sense to hire people to do that. So you know it, it's it fundamentally, I think there's big pictures. If you're B two C, then you can go paid with a much 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 shorter buying journey. It's way more about mm. traffic arbitrage and media. Yes. If you're if you're B two B, then it's going to be way more about building trust, um, establishing kind of a credible brand. Um, having a little, I mean, you're gonna have probably more content out there uh, to build to build trust and expertise, especially the higher the ticket goes. Um, kind of like what we're doing with the podcast, right? So it's just like you know, throwing things out there, people will be like, okay, this, yeah. these people, whatever they do, are good at it. Yeah. So right now, um, in terms of like where you are professionally, are you looking for new opportunities? Are you like where where do you come in? At what stage are you coming in? And like, of you know, someone listening to us you know, who's like that perfect person to like reach out to uh, each of you and say, well, I was hearing what you guys were talking about. Let's see if we can't work together. We work with two kind of specific types of businesses. So uh, from a size standpoint, it's a kind of at minimum between three and 10. That's kind of the minimum size that we're looking at in terms of companies that we work with mm -hmm. uh, to take on to then scale. Um, just because below three, it's really difficult. They're, you know, they're really just figuring things out. They don't really have a team yet. It's like, you need mm -hmm. to have a core cadence, you know, core team, five to 10 people that are, you know, and decent margins, things, things that things are all working at a base level. Um, in terms of the industries, we look at, um, uh, brick and mortar chains that are looking to license, uh, or scale nationally, uh, either privately owning all the locations or licensing their model out. Cause it depends on, it depends on the capital constraints of whatever the model is. Um, and then the second category is education businesses in general, um, especially niche types of education. So, 
you know, Layla and I are both huge believers. You know, we've donated millions to um, to advancing equal opportunity with within underprivileged um, communities uh, because we both believe entrepreneurship and education is the only way to you know cure America at least. And so uh, we think that the, the the college system, the formal education system, failed a lot of people. I don't think we're alone in that. And so you know, our kind of quote investment thesis is just that the education system is becoming more and more fragmented, and it's it's getting pooled towards the people who are the best at specific things. And so mm-hmm. instead of having, you know, 10,000 math teachers, there should really be just one best math teacher in the world who should teach every kid math. Mm-hmm. Um, and the same thing with sales and the same thing with marketing. And I think that those, those pools are aggregating. And so for us, we're really looking for the people who are good um, and to help them build the model around that uh, so that they can scale and, and impact more people. Yeah. And I would say that to put it into like, where, where's the point at which we want to come in with these businesses? Because based on what industry they're in, the revenue might be less or yeah. more meaningful. Yeah. We like to put it like this, which is like, we're not going to help you start the fire, but we'll help you add gasoline to the fire. Yeah. Right. And so we want to take people that have a core concept that's working. It's been proven and we're just going to make it explode. And so a, a way to look at it is, you know, we look at our businesses and we're really happy that we've maximized every opportunity and we want to help every other entrepreneur maximize their opportunity. We don't want yeah. them to look back and be like, oh, I could have done more. I wish I did this, et cetera. It's like, we want to just help them do it right the first time. Yeah. Yeah. We have a slogan that's, uh, you know, you should only have to get rich once. And so that's kind of the, that's kind of the spirit behind it. You know, if, if, <laughs> Not your first if they've, if they've already gotten to the level that they're getting to, um, what's what's missing that that you come in that they can't seem to do on their own? Gosh, uh, what what hole exists within a business that we don't? That you know, <laughs> um, great question. You know, uh, it would it would it would depend. There's some guys who are really good at acquisition and are really bad at monetization. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, so they don't have really good margins. The, the other guys who have really phenomenal margins that can't scale. There's some people who you know, have great, they're great on marketing sales and monetization, but they have horrible fulfillment and their reputation is not good because they don't fulfill their promises. Uh, they're people who don't like, there's, there's a, a thousand problems that could exist within the business. And so that's, that's kind of why Layla and I split things front and back of house. So she can look at the, the, the user journey, activation metrics, user health scores, see what we can do to improve the product so that we get way more referrals, way more longevity out of each customer, get more ascensions, get repeat purchases, et cetera. Um, and then, you know, me on the front end, I'm looking at where I think the biggest arbitrage opportunities exist within, within the channels that we already know how to grow. Mm-hmm. You each have a, a background in a lot of, uh, well, gyms, right? Uh, so that's an interesting industry right now, given the past year, where do you see that industry going? Um, it, so it's kind of like when an Eskimo or like we talk about snow and Eskimo step seven words for snow. So it depends on what type of gyms we're talking about. So yeah. there's you know boutique studios, like you've got your, you know, like bar and yoga and, you know, what I call single modality studios. Right. Um, and then you've got your uh, kind of just large group training type studios, just kind of general, like hit, you know, circuit training type studios. And then you have your large, large, big globo gym type facilities. Uh, and then you have like personal training. So there's there's kind of different levels. And I think that it the answer is more nuanced. I think that one-on-one personal training is going to continue to be there. Um, I think there'll be some obviously remote aspects of that. Some people like the one-on-one at home Zoom type thing. Um, that you know, if you've if you've paid attention to Peloton and and some of the competitors like Mirror and Tonal yeah. and Tempo, and they're popping up all over the place. What they're doing, they're, they're conquering a single modality because 
they're, they're able to get the best trainers uh, and centralize them just like I would have Literally, the, the thing that I was just saying about our thesis. Exactly. That's exactly what I was thinking about. Let's get yeah. the best in the world. The best trainer in the world, work with them. Exactly. And so it's like, okay, if we, we can find the best kickboxing instructor in the world and put him in front of you, then they will still, even though there's a, it's not as good as being in person, it's probably way better than being in person with a mediocre, like with a mediocre trainer. And so an amount that's greater than zero of the, of, of people who are overweight or whatever are going to switch from exercising, you know, in gym to not exercising in gym and grab me an amount greater than zero will do that. And mm -hmm. so if that's true, then a, a bite out of that marketplace will happen. You could make an argument that some people who wouldn't otherwise go to the gym will also start doing it because it's more convenient and more enjoyable than mm -hmm. the other previous at home, uh, options. Right. And so, um, I think it's going to take a, it's going to take a bite out of the boutique side. It'll also, it'll also increase the size of the pie from people who otherwise wouldn't be exercising. And so yeah. I think you'll get it from both. In terms of the ways for those businesses to stay competitive, it's it's we use the term rise above the workout, which is it's not it has to be about about ancillary services and mm -hmm. things that enhance the experience, like accountability metrics, nutrition coaching, things like that that are going to drive the outside of gym experience far more than sweating and getting more reps. Yeah, well, usually anytime you've got you know an industry that's going through some evolution, which the fitness industry is, um, there's opportunity. And so, you know, where, you know, when we think about, you know, where is, you know, the gym and fitness and, and all its many flavors of snow, uh, you know, variations, uh, what opportunities that present? So are you, is, are, you, are you seeing new and innovative things that you're able to be a part of? Or is it all just, hey, it's only Apple, Peloton and, you know, whomever else? No, I think there's there's always a place for the strong operator. That's a belief, you know, a belief that Lee and I both share, which is like, if you're excellent, there will always be a place for you. But I think when we're talking with broad brushstrokes, uh, you know, about an industry, the lower performers are going to get pushed out at a, yeah. at a higher percentage, at a higher rate, um, and the people who are going to be middle of the pack have to innovate a little bit more. And so that's where adding in these other ancillary pieces like accountability, et cetera, are going to be the things that you know. There are plenty of people who still want that one-on-one -on -one attention. Peloton, some of those guys are intrude, you know, they have this big distribution base and they're probably going to add in some of these services, you know, the extent to which they're going to be able to have the same level of quality as an independent operator. And especially when you're talking about scaling service, it's just people, right? It's just people and culture, which is difficult compared to tech to scale. I mean, I guess it's just very different. They're both difficult to scale, but just different. And so uh, somebody who's got a strong culture is a good operator, understands people, um, wouldn't be at a disadvantage compared to the tech guys because they can still lead with that as their advantage, which you know, building culture has been a business thing for, you know, hundred years. So that, that part hasn't changed. Yeah. We both have for a while now said that it's just the, the definition that we use is hybrid. Everything's going in a hybrid direction, mm -hmm. particularly for gyms. It's like the more, if you go in person to a gym, the more you also want to come home with you in a way. Right. So it's not just yes. that when you're there, you get it, but when you're home, you get it. And right. if you're getting something from home, you want not just to have something on app, but you want things around you. you need the, it's the environment because that's yeah. what happens. Yeah. yeah. You guys uh, obviously have been married. How long have you been married? Four uh, years. Congratulations on that. So how does, um, you know, what, do you have rules for yourselves? Like, you know, if you're in business together, married together, um, you know, what have you learned that works well for you um, so that you can have that right balance that, 
you know, you're not letting, you know, maybe business or work stress interfere with your personal relationship. Like, how do you navigate that? I will put in my two things. So the two number, the two concepts that have helped the most for us. And I think have allowed us to be as successful because we can't have the success in business without having a successful marriage. Like it just doesn't, it doesn't work. I mean, maybe some people do. I don't, I don't know that though. Um, One is that if we don't agree, we don't move forward. So bottom line, if we don't agree on something, we're just not going to move forward. There's either a lack of information or there's a perspective that we, one of us doesn't see. And so we have to figure out what that is on either side. The second piece is the dichotomy of closeness and distance. And so I think that when there's a couple that works together, they typically feel like um, they want to, when there's like a, a feeling of disconnect, the, the immediate desire is go closer. But the reality is, is that you have no space. And so you need that time for yourself. And so it's not like you need to put in a ton at first, maybe just don't, uh, you know, don't work out together. Don't go here together. Don't do, you know, we, uh, for example, a few things that we've done is, uh, for example, like our house, my office is on the downstairs on one side and his is the upstairs on another side. Mm -hmm. Um, There's a lot of times where we, instead of hanging out in the morning, having coffee, catching up, we'll just go straight to working. Or at the end of the day, one of us will work longer. One of us will go do something with a friend. Like there's just like putting in space in different parts. Uh, We don't work out together anymore. We used to work out together. We don't do that anymore. There's just a lot of places where we can insert space so that the time we do have together, it's intentional. It's like we're either working and talking about work or we're talking about a relationship and having quality time together. Mm. Alex, that worked for you? (laughs) That was, I mean, it was the biggest struggle we had because when we started the business, we, we sat shoulder to shoulder, we worked, we ate, we worked out, we worked, we ate, we worked out. And we did that mm. every hour of every day. And what ends up happening is it's not like, cause Layla and I were, you know, immediately became friends as we, you know, when we, when we started dating, um, I would say our business relationship and friendship grew faster almost than our romantic one bit, because we spent so many more hours, like quality, dedicated, focused hours on growing that aspect mm-hmm. comparatively. Um, and so, you know, for us, it's, it's just making sure that we, that we walk that line. Uh, and, and in the beginning we had to, we had to learn that, that, that component of it. Yeah. And I think when you're both really ambitious, which a lot of people in business are, it's super <laughs> easy and fun to talk about only business. And so that yes. transition to go and talk about your relationship and marriage is something that you have to learn to do. And yeah. we've hit like a really great stride probably in the last two years of our marriage, where I think we really leaned into that side a lot more and it's just, it helps every other aspect of your business and your marriage. If you can do that. Do you, on a, on a date, you're like, hey, my wife and I are like, okay, we are not talking business. <laughs> you know, it's funny. We, um, we, we, you know, we, we, ha- you've talked to different, you know, different people over time and they're like, we have a rule. We don't talk business. And some, you know, for us, we, um, yeah. we, we don't like rules, uh, from like a hard and fast standpoint. It's yeah. more like tendencies and preferences and so I think some, you know, there might be a time when both of us are like, yeah, let's talk about that. Um, but I think both of us can tell the difference between talking about hopes, dreams, and aspirations versus decisions we need to make uh, or problems in the business. And so like, we can be on a date and be like, man, imagine what we're going to be doing in, in 10 years, if this works out and this works out in this direction, and couldn't it be cool if this worked like that stuff, that's not heavy. If we're like, man, Jeremy and, and HR is just killing me right now. I mean, did you see that report he turned in on Friday? Like, that's not what I want to talk on about on date night. So I think it's 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 like the snow, right? It's just there's nuance to it. Yeah, fantastic. All right, Alex and Layla Hermosi, uh, for someone that wants to connect with you, um, what would they do? Where would they go? What would you recommend? I would just say um, 
if you're a podcaster, then, uh, you know, we have a podcast called The Game. Um, so you can look it up, Alex Formosi, The Game. And then uh, we have a YouTube channel. Again, if you uh, just put our name in, you'll, pro- you'll probably find us. <laughs> yeah, it's Hormozzi is H-O-R-M-O-Z-I. Also, uh, Leila, I know, I know, Leila, I know you're from West Michigan. Are you, are you each from Michigan? No, he's from Baltimore, actually. Oh, Baltimore. So, yeah, okay. Yeah. All right. And, and where were you, where were you from in Michigan, Leila? Uh, Portage. Oh, okay. <laughs> right, right. The, uh, yep. The, the, the place where all the malls are and stuff, uh, compared to Kalamazoo. <laughs> yes. I, I know that that's, that's right near where my parents are, where I was raised. So awesome. <laughs> well, thanks guys. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having us, Josh. Thanks for listening to the Thoughtful Entrepreneur Show. If you are a thoughtful business owner or professional who would like to be on this daily program, please visit upmyinfluence.com slash guest. Now, if you've got something out of this interview, would you share this episode on social media? Just do a quick screenshot with your phone and text it to a friend or post it on the socials. Now, if you do that, Tag us with the hashtag UpMyInfluence. Each month, we scour Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram. We pick one winner from each platform, and you get crowned king or queen of that social media. Now, what do you win? Well, we're going to promote you and your business to over 120,000 social media fans totally free. Now, can you also hook us up? Now, in your podcast player right now, please give us a thumbs up or a rating and review. We promise to read it all and take action. We believe that every person has a message that can positively impact the world. Your feedback helps us fulfill that mission. And while you're at it, hit that subscribe button. You know why? Tomorrow, that's right, seven days a week, you are going to be inspired and motivated to succeed. 15 minutes a day. Now, my name's Josh Elledge. Let's connect on the socials. You'll find all the stuff we're doing at upmyinfluence.com. Now, thanks for listening and thank you for being a part of the Thoughtful Entrepreneur Movement. Mm-hmm.